WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Wednesday, September 6th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sunshine hot today again, high 93. Tonight and overnight, clear, low 77. And then tomorrow we'll do it all over again. Sun clouds, high 92. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 74 and clear in Islip out on Long Island, 72 and clear in Elmer down in New Jersey, and it is 76 and clear here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up 6 o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning. So sad to hear about the passing of Rochelle Boone, uh, who was this Emmy Award winning journalist for New York One, a beloved colleague there at New New York One. She um, had left the network because she was sick with pancreatic cancer. And you might remember if you followed her career, she's been with New York One or was with New York One for 20 years. And she was celebrated when she came back after seemingly had beaten cancer. And then she left again recently over the summer and things turned worse. And yesterday it was left to the New York One anchors to announce that she had passed away. Now, I used to run into her on the street when I was a street reporter. Just, I can't say that I knew her really well, but just a lovely woman and young, 48 years old. Good afternoon. I'm Cheryl Wills. We have some deeply sad and personal news to report today. Rochelle Boone. Emmy Award-winning journalist and our beloved colleague here at New York One passed away on Sunday evening due to complications related to pancreatic cancer. She was 48. For 21 years, Rochelle was a member of our staff as well as a friend and mentor to countless people. Yeah, interesting backstory. She emigrated with her family here from Kingston, Jamaica, spent her early childhood in Jamaica. Then the family moved to the Bronx. And she always wanted to be a reporter, always wanted to be an anchor. And this was after she had been given a spot on the radio. And it went up from there and uh, just awful. Uh, all kinds of people weighing in on her death yesterday, including... Mayor Adams, who apparently had pretty close relationship with her. She, you know, was really kind and caring. She loved the uh, various politicians, but she adored me. I was her favorite, you know. <laughs> and she was just so authentic, uh, as you saw in your, tri- your tribute, uh, how just authentic New York yeah. she was. There were so many stories in her life from being an immigrant. Pursuing her dreams, uh, going to the various events and making New Yorkers feel special. Yeah, and she was a fantastic reporter. You might remember her if you are not a New York One watcher. She was the one who went viral with that moment where she was in a bar in the Bronx when AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, was running for Congress for the first time. And she had this scrappy campaign, and she was in a bar waiting for the results came to come in, and it was Rochelle Boone who told her she had won. And there was this great moment of AOC putting her hand over her mouth But um, anyway, sad to see that she is gone 48 years old, way too young, survived by her husband, Todd, who she met in New York one and uh, two kids. Uh, Sorry to hear that.
All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. There was another migrant protest out on Staten Island. A beloved local journalist, as we just said, passes away. Congressman Santos may be ready to make a plea deal. President Biden is going to mask up. Nazi tunes heard out at the U.S. Open. All right, let's get into it. 504 will start on Staten Island. Hundreds of Staten Islanders out in front of a former Catholic school again last night protesting the city's expansive migrant shelter. They're moving migrants into that former high school. The demonstration, the fourth large-scale one out on Long Island against this 300-bed site that they say was dumped on the borough without Staten Islanders having any say. It's at the former St. John Villa Academy. Here's some of the people who showed up last night. I realize it's a sanctuary city, but there has to be a limit to our compassion. We don't have the infrastructure here. We're not vetting anybody. We don't know if anybody has a criminal Backgrounds. We don't know what they may have done in their country of origin. Curtis Sliwa, one of the speakers last night, I was texting back and forth with him as he was at this protest. And one interesting moment, he sent me these pictures of these drones. You know, these drones that Mayor Adams and the NYPD sent over the West Indian Day Parade to watch it on Monday. Uh, there were drones watching this protest as well. Uh, yesterday on Staten Island, and Curtis Lee was a little freaked out by that. I imagine he'll say more about that when he meets up with his daily segment with Sid at 7.05 this morning on Sid and Friends in the Morning. A few hundred part of this protest last night saying that they want to protect their kids and protect their neighborhood, and the best way to do that is to keep the migrants out. These people that are here... We don't know anything about them. We don't know if they're vaccinated. We don't know if they're if they're terrorists. We don't know. We know nothing about them. So they should be they should be separated from the community until they're properly vetted. And when they're properly vetted, then then they can be welcome. So the number now, as it stands, more than 107,000 migrants have been bussed here from the U.S.-Mexico border over the last year. About 50,000 or so of them are in the city's care as we speak. And again, Curtis uh, sending these pictures of these drones over this protest last night. He called it Orwellian. And um, uh, he says uh, that's not what the city was supposed to use these drones for. It was supposed to check out violent scenes before they sent cops in so they knew what they were walking into. So we'll hear more about that. And no doubt we'll hear more about these protests as the days wear on. And again, at 7.05 this morning when Curtis Lewa Jones uh, joins Sid Rosenberg on Sid and Friends in the Morning. WABC News Time 509. Let's go out to Long Island. Attorneys for Long Island Congressman George Santos could be making a possible plea deal and be in discussions with federal prosecutors. This according to federal court documents released yesterday. Prosecutors for the Eastern District of New York filing this letter asking for a status conference continuance. Santos, you'll remember, pled not guilty last May to a 13-count federal indictment, which included counts of wire fraud, money laundering, making false statements to Congress. Prosecutors say in this letter that a request to postpone a conference scheduled for tomorrow would allow them to make another substantial production of discoverable material. That's uh, jargon for they're going to give the two-time side to work out a deal. At least that's what it sounds like. Prosecutors went on to say the parties have continued to discuss possible paths forward 
in this matter, which awfully sounds like George Santos might be making a plea deal, realizing that his back is up against the wall. Of course, we'll follow this story. No definite word. But anytime they cancel these meetings and talk about a continuance of conversations, it sounds like his lawyers, George Santos's lawyers, are trying to make a deal with the prosecutors. 510. Were you one of those people trying to get out on United Airlines yesterday? Nationwide ground stop due to some computer glitches. It was not pretty. At the end of June, United was facing severe weather at Newark Airport and took the very unusual step then of requesting an FAA ground stop at Newark. Yeah, so there was a ground stop again yesterday. That's Tom Costello, reporter. They issued this nationwide due to equipment outages. Uh, Dennis Tower, he's with the Allied Pilots Association, says um, he was worried all day yesterday it would create a domino effect. It did not seem to do that. One event can trickle across the country very quickly. And then you're running out of people, um, and it can be a real mess out there. Yes, yeah, so it was a mess, and United will have to play a little bit of catch-up today. Anytime that uh, you have a, a you know, well-oiled machine uh, rolling along, any uh, delay in that can really uh, gum up the works. Yeah, we'll watch the airline, see how things are this morning. 511, the manhunt continues for an extremely dangerous killer out in Pennsylvania. Police out looking for him. There have him. been additional sightings of convicted killer Daniello Cavalcante. One of the latest sightings captured on a private trail camera not far from the initial search perimeter. That's reporter George Solis. The escaped murderer, Danilo Cavalcante, has been on the run since last Thursday. He broke out of the Chester County Jail. The escape took place shortly after he'd been sentenced to life for murdering his ex-girlfriend in front of his children, allegedly, or I guess he was convicted, so, of stabbing her some 36 times. I mean, this is, this is guy's an awful human being. Police using mobile vans to blast a message from his mother, urging him to surrender yesterday. So far, it has not he is extremely dangerous and are urging residents coming home from the long weekend to check their belongings to see if there's been any disturbance to their home. Yeah, they're worried maybe he's hiding out in an empty home somewhere not too far from the prison since there have been sightings of him on cameras. They are pushing him out of that initial search zone, and they will be able to capture him as this terrain is slightly more open than where they have been searching. Yeah, so they're hopeful they'll catch up with him, but so far that has not happened. 512. Attorneys for convicted killer, disbarred former lawyer Alex Murdoch, filing a motion now for a new trial down in South Carolina. The allegations in the petition filed today speak for themselves, but we believe they explain a number of peculiarities in the six-week trial. At a news conference yesterday, Murdoch's legal team claimed a county clerk had private talks with jurors and may have influenced them, or they're requesting an FBI investigation into the clerk's actions. Murdoch was convicted in March of killing his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul. The defense team says South Carolina Attorneys General has 10 days to respond to their motion. Jim Griffin and I filed a petition based on newly discovered evidence with the South Carolina Court of Appeals to stay Alec Murdaugh's appeal while a hearing is held on a motion for a new trial. Yeah, not clear it's going to happen. We've sent a request to the South Carolina U.S. Attorney to open a federal investigation into the violation of Alec Murdaugh's civil rights. Yeah, and lawyers there, or at least for him, Murdaugh say that uh, he was railroaded in this case. Alex Murdaugh maintains and still maintains his innocence in the murder of Maggie and Paul and believes the truth will ultimately prevail. 
514, the former chairman of the Proud Boys, going to spend more than two decades behind bars. Enrique Tarrio and three other leaders of the far-right group were found guilty of seditious conspiracy earlier this year. On Tuesday, a judge sentenced Tarrio to 22 years in jail, the longest sentence handed down related to the 2021 U.S. Capitol riot. The judge approved a terrorism enhancement for Tarrio's sentence. Prosecutors had asked for Tarrio to be sentenced to 33 years in prison. I'm Brian Shook. Lawmakers back at work in D.C. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says lawmakers must work together to keep the government from shutting down at the end of the month. While speaking on the Senate floor, Schumer called for a bipartisanship to avoid a pointless shutdown. He said both Democrats and Republicans must come together in good faith. Congress is working on a short-term funding bill that can pass before federal agencies run out of money September 30th, but the Senate and House are far apart on what should be included in the measure. I'm Lisa Taylor. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell back on Capitol Hill is facing questions over his health following that latest public freeze-up that took place in Kentucky last week. Now, one particular moment of my time back home has received its fair share of attention in the press over the past week. McConnell said that he had a busy, productive August meeting with his constituents in Kentucky. The 81-year-old froze, was unresponsive for about 30 seconds while speaking to reporters in Covington last week. A similar incident, you'll remember, occurred in July during McConnell's weekly press conference in the U.S. Capitol. August was a busy and productive month for me and my staff. Yeah, he didn't want to talk too much about freezing up, but he says he's just fine. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Happy Hump Day. Good morning, Justin Ellick. Happy Hump Day. Good morning to you, Noah Malayden. We'll start here on the diamond. The Yankees kept rolling with a 5-1 win in last night's series opener at home against the Detroit Tigers. The win marks four straight for New York, complete with another great performance on the mound for his Garrett Cole, continues to pad his Cy Young caliber stats on the year. It was also a night to celebrate for slugger Giancarlo Stanton, who jacked his 400th career home run in the sixth inning to give the Yanks a lead that they wouldn't surrender. That call courtesy of the Yes Network. The Bombers will see if they can make it five straight tonight in the middle game with Detroit. First pitch set for 7.05 p.m. with Clark Schmidt. Set to take the hill against Detroit's Matt Manning in Washington. The Mets took care of the Nationals. You were at the stadium last night. Is anybody going to the Bronx to see the Yankees anymore? Um, well, uh, you know, to start the game, not many. But no. uh, as you get, as you move on through, you know, through the game, yeah, that people are starting to trickle in. I would say probably by the fifth or sixth inning, you probably had um, uh, a little over half the seats in the stadium. Wow, wow yeah. that's terrible. But, at the, yeah, but at, yeah, but at the start, um, no, there was. I mean, I would, I wouldn't even give it a third. Oh. At the start, yeah. Unfortunate, unfortunate. But uh, you did have a couple debuts last night. Jason Dominguez had a double, a couple of the youngins, and made uh, made their uh, official debut in pinstripes at home in the Bronx. But in Washington, Nome, the Mets took care of the Nationals by a score of 11-5. to In the first of two in D.C., a four-run first inning pretty much gave New York all the boost they needed to be propelled to the win. And what Mets win recently would be complete without... A long home run off the bat of Pete Alonzo. And Alonzo hits one out of sight. Headed toward the Capitol Dome. Number 42 for Pete Alonzo. Indeed, number 42. That call courtesy of SNY. After stringing together two wins in a row themselves now, the Mets will aim for three in a row. Come tonight's finale with Washington. Set for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch. Jose Budo gets a start. Against Washington's Joan Aiden. And then is officially that time as a full slate of week one NFL games kicks off 
this week on Thursday Night Football with the Lions and the defending champion and five-point favorite Chiefs in Kansas City. Travis Kelsey suffered an injury yesterday. They're saying that it is not an ACL tear, so hopefully just inflammation for the star tight end. That's why that six-and-a-half-point spread uh, decreased down to five points today. Locally, the Giants get the division rival Dallas Cowboys at home on Sunday night for their Week 1 matchup. The G-Men are three-and-a-half-point underdogs as of now for the Jets. They get set to welcome in the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football as two-and-a-half-point dogs. There. And tennis's U.S. Open quarterfinals are underway in both the men's and women's brackets. Yesterday, unranked Ben Shelton upset fellow American Francis Tiafo to advance, along with world number two Novak Djokovic. On the women's side, Coco Goff dominated in her quarterfinal match to advance, along with the Czech Republic's Carolina Muchova. Uh, quarterfinal action for the men or women will resume today at noon, no, while the men will pick things up today. At 1.30 p.m. And that's sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Ellick. WABC News Time 520. Let's go down to D.C. The White House says North Korea will pay a price if it provides weapons to Russia for its ongoing war with Ukraine. We will continue to call on North Korea to abide by its public commitments not to supply weapons to Russia that will end up killing Ukrainians. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan there telling reporters that discussions between the countries are actively advancing. He says Russia's defense minister recently made a trip to North Korea to ask for those weapons. This comes amid news reports that uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin plans to meet with the North Korean leader next month. Discussions between North Korea and Russia with respect to North Korea providing military support to Russia for its war in Ukraine, that those discussions are actively advancing. Most recently, we saw the defense minister of Russia, Russia, Sergei Shoigu, make a trip to Pyongyang, in essence, to ask for weapons. 521 President Biden awarding the Medal of Honor to an Army helicopter pilot for his actions during the Vietnam War. He flown more than 2,000 combat missions and he received a Silver Star, a Bronze Star, two Distinguished Flying Crosses, and 43 Air Medals. This is an unbelievable human. The president detailing how retired Army Captain Larry Taylor carried out this daring rescue of a small patrol of U.S. soldiers who were surrounded by the enemy. Biden says Taylor did everything to answer the call of duty. Taylor received a direct order, return to base. His response was just as direct. I'm getting my men out. He refused to give up refused to leave a fellow American behind, refused to put his own life above the lives of others in need. Yeah, an amazing individual, Captain Larry Taylor. One of the side stories out of that press conference yesterday, that medal long overdue, was why wasn't President Biden wearing a mask? Uh, this was an older gentleman that he was giving the medal to. And uh, his wife, Jill, has COVID. So some reporters asked this uh, to the uh, White House. White House Press Corps was asking the White House Press Secretary about this yesterday. Uh, here's what Corinne Jean-Pierre had to say. President Biden tested negative last night for COVID-19 and tested negative again today. He's not experiencing any symptoms. But now... Now they say the president will mask up when he's indoors. First lady is experiencing mild symptoms and will remain in Delaware for the week. Since the president was with the first lady yesterday, he will be masking while indoors and around people. 
And that going on as an Ohio senator is making a push to ban federal mask mandates. This is coming back unless we stop it from happening. That's why I introduced this legislation, and I'm going to force the Democrats to vote on it. If they say the mask mandates are not coming back, then come to the Senate floor, vote with us, and say no more mask mandates. Let's make it bipartisan. That's Republican J.D. Vance from Ohio introducing this new legislation that aims to prevent federal agencies from requiring masks on commercial airlines, public transit, and in public schools. It's known as the Freedom to Breathe Act. That is, no doubt, you probably know somebody who's caught COVID in the last couple of weeks. It does seem to have come back in a big way. Hospitalizations are up, but nowhere near where they were during the pandemic. And COVID, a growing concern, as you might guess, with the start of the new school year. New York State is making rapid COVID-19 tests and masks available as students start heading back to school. Governor Hochul says several school districts have made the request as a new variant emerges, noting there was a rise on COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations over the summer. The governor is also advising schools to follow CDC guidance and work with their local health departments to help protect students and staff in the classroom. Hochul says at-home test kits are available at pharmacies across the state, adding state and county offices can request N95 masks and test kits. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. While we're back in New York, the NYPD has now reached a settlement with the New York Attorney General. will change its approach to policing during protests. And this is in connection to the summer of 2020 and the so-called Black Lives Matter or George Floyd protests. Since then, the NYPD has paid out millions to individuals who were kettled at protests, referring to when cops use bicycles to sort of close off groups who are blocking traffic and then they're led elsewhere. But some say that move denies individuals their civil rights. Mayor Eric Adams. And this agreement sets new protocols and policies in place. So now the department will use a system that minimizes police presence at certain protests, although the policy allows more officers to respond if demonstrations may turn violent or cause traffic disruptions. James Flippin for 77 WABC News. If you're a TikTok watcher at all, no doubt you've seen the One Chip Challenge, which challenges people to eat this really, really hot nacho chip. You buy them for like five bucks. Well, unfortunately, a 14-year-old from Massachusetts has passed away after doing the One Chip Challenge. The family of Harris Woloba says he died last week of complications from eating the super spicy chip made by Pocky. The chip contains Carolina Reaper peppers and Naga Viper peppers, two of the hottest peppers in the world. The chip comes with a warning that it should be consumed by adults only, should be kept away from children, and shouldn't be eaten by anyone who's sensitive to spicy foods or with an allergy, women who are pregnant, or anyone with a medical condition. Autopsy results are pending. I'm Mark Mayfield. An animal rights group asking SeaWorld in San Diego to release a nearly 60-year-old killer whale. Protesters asking for Corky, the oldest whale that's in the theme park, to be released to a sanctuary in Canadian waters. There are no holidays for any of the animals at SeaWorld. The eight orcas that are held in captivity here never get a day off. Was that what that movie Free Willy was about? I never saw it. But one of the protesters, Ellen Erickson, says SeaWorld has in the past uh, been able to handle these whales, though she says she says they're not doing a good job of that right now. Oil prices, they're on the rise after Saudi Arabia extended its oil production cuts through the end of the year. According to the state-owned news agency, the voluntary one million barrel per day reduction is going to be reviewed on a monthly basis until then. The Saudis first applied the cuts in July after oil prices fell below $75 a barrel. After Tuesday's announcement by the Saudis, Brent crude prices jumped above $90 a barrel. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. And the opening bell, it rings this morning after stocks fell. First trading day of the holiday-shortened week. Rising Treasury yields and that surge in crude oil prices and pressured markets. Energy shares rose while airline and cruise stocks fell broadly. At the closing bell, the Dow down 195 points. S&P fell 18. NASDAQ lost 10 points. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 530. Good morning. It is Wednesday, September 6th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Another sunny and hot one today, high 93. Tonight, overnight, clear, low 77. And the heat wave continues tomorrow. Sun clouds, high 92. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 74 and clear in Islip out on Long Island. 72 and clear in Elmer down in New Jersey. And it is 76 and clear here in Midtown. We'll start this half hour out in Queens, where the U.S. Open continues to go on down to the quarterfinals now. It has been... Uh, match-wise, it's been really fantastic to watch. You've had some strange moments where some of the players were uh, complaining about the smell of weed and how that might be affecting their game. And then you had another weird moment. U.S. fans just buzzing about this all over social media about a spectator who was ejected from Arthur Ashe Stadium after yelling German Nazi salutes as Alexander Zverev was uh, playing. Uh, he's from Germany. And uh, he heard this guy yelling the Nazi slogans in the crowd. And he went up to the ump and he said, you need to get this guy out of here. I don't want to anything, think that anybody, I'm somehow connected to this guy or he has anything to do with me. I find it disgusting. Uh, you can sort of make out what he's saying as he goes over to the ref. Well, let's see if we can. So the crowd is jeering him because they think he's complaining about a call or something. But he'd actually gone over to the ref to say, you need to find this guy and kick him out of the stadium. So the ref turns around on that you know high chair they stand on and he starts pointing to people at the crowd yelling at them saying wait a minute which one of you is yelling these nazi salutes and uh you know new yorkers of course turn the guy in they pointed the guy is this guy right here yeah, it's a little hard to make out, but uh, he's telling the guy to put his hand up that uh, who's the one that uh, yelled out these Nazi salutes. And, of course, the guy doesn't, but everybody around him says, no, it's that guy right there. Security comes down. They uh, cart him away. Uh, one of the interesting side notes after they cart him away is they notice that the woman that was with him stayed <laughs> stayed in her seat. I mean, they had great seats. They were, like, right by the court, courtside. And so, of course, the question is, did she stay there just because uh, she wanted the rest of the match? Or maybe she was smart enough to realize, I better not leave with this guy because people will then know that I'm with him. Which may be, we will probably never know the answer to that, but people speculating about it on social media. 535, the ongoing migrant mess continues here in the city. It seems that Governor Hochul and Mayor Adams are back to talking about how to fix it and make things right. The two were together yesterday. The latest round of 
asylum seekers and migrants we're receiving, there's a large number of children and families. So Mayor Adams, Governor Hochul had been engaging in this war of words how to deal with the ongoing migrant influx. The New York State Attorney General urging them to appoint a migrant czar. It's not clear if that's going to happen. Uh, New York City Schools Chancellor David Banks says under state law, all children between 5 and 21, regardless of their immigration status, receive a guaranteed public education. So they will be in school come tomorrow when the doors open, or at least a lot of them anyway. We completely changed our school funding formula to provide additional funding to schools based on the number of students and temporary housing that they enroll. Yes, so there's been this back and forth about what is the vaccination status of these kids who will enter school, the migrant kids. And the truth is we don't know what their migrant, what their vaccination status is. So initially we were told they'd be given a 30-day window so they'd be able to attend class, have this 30-day window to get their vaccinations. Not a whole lot more since then. Here's a parent with a kid in the school system. The problem is is that we are not equipped to to help them, and we should be. Yeah, there's a lot of worry about whether the school system's already stretched too thin to take in what could be a few thousand of these migrant kids on the first day of school. Now, we're watching. There were some centers where migrant families could show up to sign their kids up for school. And there was a point last week where they were getting about 400 kids per day signing up. So what the total number is at this point, uh, I imagine the Board of Ed knows, but they have not shared that with us. WABC News Time 539. Let's go down to Chinatown. A 68-year-old woman, critical condition, after she was hit by a bike in Chinatown last night. Surveillance video shows a man on a bicycle heading north on Christie Street hit the woman who was crossing an intersection at Grand Street. It comes like very speedy, very speedy. They don't concern about the, the people who walk in the, in the, across the street. That was an eyewitness. It's a two-way bike lane with traffic signals for everyone. Not clear from the video who had the green light at the moment of impact. But what the video does show is that bicyclist did stop. He takes the woman who's lying on the ground, props her up against a plastic divider. But he doesn't leave just yet. He then walks over to a squad car that happens to be parked nearby, has some sort of conversation with them. The police officers get out of their car, go over to the woman, call the EMTs, and then this bicyclist rides away. So there's some question of whether he should have stayed at the scene. I see the evidence come and uh, they take the victims into the ambulance. And uh, she's still, she's unconscious. Yeah, so medics took that woman to a local hospital. Unfortunately, she's in critical condition. NYPD's collision investigation squad uh, on the scene last night into the late hours, uh, examining the scene, collecting evidence. Uh, the NYPD's cameras at the intersection should be able to determine who had the right of way before that crash, but there's no word that they're looking for this bicyclist. It sounds like he kind of did the right thing, but there were people in Chinatown at the scene who say that he should have stayed at the scene till this woman was taken away in the ambulance. 540, just an awful scene out in Queens. One person killed, several others injured, including two kids. After a car lost control, slammed into a bunch of pedestrians yesterday afternoon, it happened 260th Street and 73rd Avenue. This was about 4 o'clock yesterday. Devastated, just like everybody else. Devastating. There must have been some other car that was coming this way, and he lost control, and he, he went on against that other side, hit the white car, and the white car 
went against the other white car. Police say a black SUV driving 73rd Avenue when the driver lost control crashed into a white car. And this is where a 67-year-old man was unloading groceries from his car. He's been identified as Sam Morosi. He got pinned between the cars, pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, three other people were injured, including a 65-year-old mother and her two children, and two children, a five-year-old and a one-year-old boy. They still speed down the street, and you hear the cars going. Da-dum. You hear them all night long. Boom, boom, boom. They don't care if the speed bumps are there. They're still flying through here. Yeah, neighbors say drivers speed on this residential street all the time, and they say police need to do more. The uh, driver of the car involved in this crash stayed at the scene. So far, no charges have been filed. 542, a wild scene up in the Bronx last night. One person injured after a boat caught fire on City Island last night. The small power boat sunk into Long Island Sound shortly after firefighters were able to get the blaze under control. So the boat had pulled up to one of these docks where you gas up, and he got off the boat, and they started to gas this boat up, and then all of a sudden it just exploded. Nobody's really sure why, but there were a lot of eyewitnesses. There was a bunch of people behind this boat who were in line to get gassed up as well. And as soon as they started fueling, there was an explosion. I was on my jet ski. You're boom, like a loud bang, like thunder. The fire placed under control after an hour. Um, firefighters worked to prevent the fire from spreading to the fuel dock itself, which would not have been pretty. Uh, and then that's when the boat just sunk and uh, people watched. I've seen that in videos and stuff because, you know, I'm on the water. I know about the fuel and everything, but I never to see it like right next to you is crazy. Yeah, kind of spectacular, actually. Thank God no one was on that boat because... I mean, it was completely engulfed in flames. Yeah, thank God is right. The Army Corps of Engineers will raise that boat so fire marshals can inspect the wreckage and try to figure out exactly what took place. New Yorkers really sickened and outraged after video posted to social media shows a man stealing a woman's cane and then beating her with it. It was around 3.30 a.m. last Friday when the suspect, identified as Norton Blake, stole the cane of 60-year-old Laurel Reynolds of the Bronx. The creep then started wailing on the woman. Oh, my goodness. Okay. The video apparently taken by a subway worker who was inside the token booth. At one point, the man starts using his fists to attack Reynolds and then even starts punching himself in the face. Cops did respond. The attacker had already fled. Reynolds was hospitalized in stable condition. James Flippin for 77 WABC News. WABC News Time 544. Let's go down to the Jersey Shore where it was really just an awful Labor Day weekend. Three people go, in, uh, three people drown amid the surf. What is, was a rough wave weekend down at the Jersey Shore. And yesterday, you had the lifeguards that are still on duty and a lot of them are no longer on duty because some of those beaches essentially have closed for the season. But they were warning swimmers because there's so many because it was so hot out not to go too deep in the water because it was still dangerous. Uh, here were some lifeguards in Asbury Park, some people on the sand there. I don't care how good of a swimmer you think you are, it's still very dangerous for you to go in. A little disappointed it can't go in, yes, because we drove out here and we wanted to enjoy the day. But we're making the most of it. The red flags were up. We were watching on as lifeguards drove the beach in ATVs to watch what was going on. Most of the beaches are closed. They don't have lifeguards on duties. Uh, This surf is supposed to build a little bit today, so it's not going to get any better anytime soon. Yeah, so you had some beachgoers who say, okay, I can't go too deep in the water, but at least I'm at the beach. Just seeing the waves crashing, it's nice. 
I don't swim much, so <laughs> just to see this, it's beautiful. Am I disappointed? Nah. Can't be the day at the beach. It's great. Even though you can't go in. Absolutely. 5.45 now. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we find our own Justin Ellis. Thank you, Noah Malinen. Start here on the Diamond where I was in attendance last night. The Yanks, they kept rolling with a 5-1 to win. In last night's series opener at home against the Detroit Tigers, the win marks four straight for New York, complete with another great performance on the mound for ace Garrett Cole, who continues to pad his Cy Young caliber stats, his lead in my most humble opinion, on the year. It was also a night to celebrate for slugger Giancarlo Stanton, who jacked his 400th career home run in the sixth inning to give the Yanks a lead that they would not surrender. That call courtesy of the Yes Network. The Bombers will see if they can make it five straight tonight in the middle game with Detroit. First pitch is set for 7.05 p.m. with Clark Schmidt set to take the hill against Detroit's Matt Manning. In Washington, the Mets took care of the Nationals by a score of 11-5 in the first of two in D.C. A four-run first inning pretty much gave New York all the boost they needed to be propelled to the win. And what Mets win recently would be complete without a long home run off the bat of Pete Alonso. And Alonso hits one out of sight. Headed toward the Capitol Dome. Number 42 for Pete Alonso. That call courtesy of SNY after stringing together two wins in a row themselves. Now the Mets will aim for three in a row. Come tonight's finale with Washington set for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch. Jose Budo gets to start against Washington's Joan Adon. And it is officially at that time as a full slate of week one NFL games kicks off this week. Thursday night football with the Lions and the defending champion. And now five-point favorite Chiefs in Kansas City waiting to see what the deal is with Travis Kelsey's knee. If it is indeed a torn ACL or not. The Chiefs are hoping that it is not. Locally, the Giants get the division rival Dallas Cowboys at home on Sunday night for their Week 1 matchup. The G-Men are three-and-a-half-point underdogs as of now. For the Jets, they get set to welcome in the Buffalo Bills on Monday night football as two-and-a-half-point dogs under or there currently. And two uh, tennis's U.S. Open quarterfinals are underway in both the men's and women's brackets. Yesterday, unranked Ben Shelton upset fellow American Francis Tiapo to advance along with world number two Novak Djokovic. On the women's side, Coco Goff dominated in her quarterfinal match against, uh, to advance, I should say, along with the Czech Republic, Carolina Muchova. Quarter, uh, quarterfinal action for the women will resume today at noon, while the men will pick things up today at 1.30 p.m. And that's sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Allen. Let's get you up on the big stories of the morning out on Staten Island last night. Another protest about bringing migrants to Staten Island to the St. John Villa Academy, a closed Catholic school in the borough. They want to set up a 300-bed site. Some are already in the school, uh, but there were a couple hundred that showed up at this protest last night. I realize it's a sanctuary city, but there has to be a limit to our compassion. We don't have the infrastructure here. We're not vetting anybody. We don't know if anybody has a criminal background. We don't know what they may have done in their country of origin. Lots of people holding signs last night. One of them was kind of entertaining. Mayor Adams is a dork. That kind of made me laugh. The uh, rally uh, Tuesday night, the fourth demonstration outside that former school. These people that are here... We don't know anything about them. We don't know if they're vaccinated. We don't know if they're if they're terrorists. We don't know. We know nothing about them. So they should be they should be separated from the community until they're properly vetted. 
and when they're properly vetted, then then they can be welcomed. The former private school has become just the newest focal point for the migrant crisis that has engulfed the Big Apple since the spring of last year. The number they're throwing out, 107,000 migrants have been bussed in here from the U.S.-Mexico border since last year. 59,000 of them right now in the city's care. Last night, uh, Curtis Sliwa, our own Curtis Sliwa, was part of this protest. I don't think he got arrested because he was texting me. So I'm assuming if he had been arrested, they would take that phone away. He did complain. He said it was a great protest, but he did complain that the NYPD put those drones above the protest last night. You'll remember over the weekend, the NYPD holding a press conference saying they were going to use these drones more to watch what was going on in certain neighborhoods and then, if need be, send police in. So he said it was kind of Orwellian as he looked up last night and saw these drones following their protest on Staten Island, a few hundred against the migrants being moved into the borough. By the way, those protests in some way have been successful. When we look at the overall numbers, about 2% of the migrants that have come into New York City have been then sent to Staten Island. We're watching this out on Long Island. Uh, George Santos, the Long Island congressman, could be in discussions for a possible plea deal. Prosecutors for the Eastern District of New York filing a letter asking for a status conference continuance. Santos had pled not guilty in May to a 13-count federal indictment, which included counts of wire fraud, money laundering, making false statements to Congress. So prosecutors say in this letter that they're requesting to postpone a conference that was set to take place tomorrow. And they're talking about uh, more discoverable material, but they go on to say that the parties have continued to discuss possible paths forward in this matter, which awfully sounds like he's ready to make some sort of plea deal. Santos may feel like and his lawyers may feel like his back is up against the wall and that it's time to make a deal with prosecutors. Sounds that way. We don't know that for sure. 553 out to Pennsylvania, where the manhunt continues today for an extremely dangerous killer who was able to escape from jail last Thursday. There have been additional sightings of convicted killer Daniello Cavalcante. One of the latest sightings captured on a private trail camera not far from the initial search perimeter. That's reporter George Solis. Uh, he, Danilo Cavalcante, escaped from this jail last Thursday, broke out of the Chester County Jail. The escape took place shortly after he had been sentenced to a life sentence for murdering his ex-girlfriend in front of his children, stabbing her some like 38 times. Police using mobile vans now to blast a message from his mother urging him to surrender because they just really have no idea where he is, but they think he might be hiding out in a house in the neighborhood near the jail. He is extremely dangerous and are urging residents coming home from the long weekend to check their belongings to see if there's been any disturbance to their home. They are pushing him out of that initial search zone and they will be able to capture him as this terrain is slightly more open than where they have been searching. Yeah, but so far they have not been able to catch up with him. 554, we'll bring it back home, New York City launching a safety campaign to try to bring down the number of young people subway surfing. It's what's called the Subway Surfing Kills Ride Inside Stay Alive campaign, featuring a bunch of ads, digital signs, posters in school explaining the dangers of subway surfing. No amount of clout, no amount of attention, or no amount of social media likes 
is worth risking your life. NYPD Chief of Transit Michael Kemper there says five New Yorkers killed over the last year by taking part in acting, uh, riding on top of these subways. And uh, if you watch TikTok, you can watch so many of these videos of these kids riding atop a subway. It's fatal. It's not something that's funny. One of my friends, his friend, they subway surf and... I know his family definitely worries about that. Uh, Sid telling me that he had dinner with transit uh, guy Michael Kemper yeah. last night. Did yeah. he have Did he have the fish or the chicken? I don't know. Oh, he didn't. <laughs> but he was there. Oh, exciting. All right. Fire officials investigating the cause of a massive warehouse blaze in Queens. They say the fire started on Monday night outside a DOT maintenance garage that stores vehicles on Harper Street and Willits Point. The contents of the building really didn't come into play. The fire was in the roofing area. It's a heavy timber roof, and that's where the fire was contained. Yes, they don't know what started this thing, but five firefighters recovering from non-life-threatening injuries that were caused during that fire. It took about four hours for firefighters to get that blaze under control. With um, COVID cases on the rise again and this new variant spreading, and it's likely you probably know somebody that's caught COVID over the last couple of weeks. So uh, the health department is saying it might be a good idea to put on a mask in crowded places. But lots of people say, of course, they don't want to go back there. And the health department says it's not a mandate. It's just a suggestion so far. But here's what New Yorkers are saying on the streets. No, I don't want to start wearing masks again. I mean, unless we went back to March of 2020 where things were really bad. I don't know. I've been seeing more people with masks on, which surprised me. I guess I thought we were okay. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people with masks on, too, in the last couple days. No, not the last couple days. It hasn't stopped. Living on the Upper West Side, it hasn't stopped. Oh, well, maybe up there, but like other neighborhoods, people stop for a while, and now they're putting them back on All right, don't put them on. Please, I know the folks listening to me don't wear them anyway, so I'm speaking to the wall, basically. Don't put them on. But some people, it's okay if they put it on. No, it's not. Well, yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) You're right about that. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. But don't give power to these people. Don't don't make this seem like it's as big and dangerous as they want you to believe. Because it's just not. This variant is milder than a cold. It's not nearly as serious as the flu. When you get the flu and walk outside your house, do you wear a mask? The answer is no. So there's no reason to do it now either. Stop giving these people the power, this lying scumbag government. I'm thinking of one person who should put a mask on. Who's that? I can't. It's going to be another cycle. I think I think a mask is wise. If winter comes and it really starts surging, I might put a mask on on the buses and stuff.